European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 44, Issue 9. Focus Issue, Epidemiology, Prevention and Healthcare Policies. By Editor-in-Chief, Professor Filippo Crea. Read to you by Morgan Bryan. Cardiovascular diseases in pregnancy, congenital heart disease and arrhythmias. Lessons from Epidemiology. This focus issue on epidemiology, prevention and healthcare policies contains the -the state-of-the-art review article Artificial Intelligence to Enhance Clinical Value Across the Spectrum of Cardiovascular Healthcare by Simrat Gill and colleagues from the University of Birmingham in the United Kingdom. The authors note that artificial intelligence, or AI, is increasingly being utilised in healthcare. This article provides clinicians and researchers with a stepwise foundation for high-value AI that can be applied to a variety of different data modalities. The aim is to improve the transparency and application of AI methods with the potential to benefit patients in routine cardiovascular care. Following a clear research hypothesis, an AI-based workflow begins with data selection and pre-processing prior to analysis with the type of data, structured, semi-structured or unstructured, determining what type of pre-processing steps and machine learning algorithms are required. Algorithmic and data validation should be performed to ensure the robustness of the chosen methodology, followed by an objective evaluation of performance. Seven case studies are provided to highlight the wide variety of data modalities and clinical questions that can benefit from modern AI techniques, with a focus on applying them to cardiovascular disease management. Despite the growing use of AI, further education for healthcare workers, researchers and the public is needed to aid understanding of how AI works and to close the existing gap in knowledge. In addition, Issues regarding data access, sharing and security must be addressed to ensure full engagement by patients and the public. The application of AI within healthcare provides an opportunity for clinicians to deliver a more personalised approach to medical care by accounting for confounders, interactions and the rising prevalence of multimorbidity. Contemporary data on the prevalence, trends and outcomes of cardiovascular diseases, or CVDs, in pregnant women are limited. In a fast-track clinical research article entitled Prevalence, Trends and Outcomes of Cardiovascular Diseases in Pregnant Patients in the USA, 2010-2019, to Monil Majmunder and colleagues from the University of Kansas Medical Center in the USA aim to analyze the prevalence, trends, and outcomes of CVD in hospitalized pregnant women in the USA. This retrospective population-based cohort study used the nationwide readmission database to identify all hospitalized pregnant patients from the 1st of January 2010 to the 31st of December 2019. Data analyses were conducted from January to February 2022. Pregnancy-associated hospitalizations were identified. The main outcomes were the prevalence and trends of CVD in pregnant patients. More than 39 million hospitalized pregnant women were identified. 11.3% exhibited CVD. 
The annual age-adjusted CVD prevalence increased from 9.2% in 2010 to 14.8% in 2019, P being less than 0.001. Hypertensive disorder of pregnancy was the most common and aortic dissection was the least common CVD. The trends of all CVD subtypes increased. However, the trend of valvular heart disease decreased. Age-adjusted in-hospital all-cause mortality was 8.2 per 10,000 in CVD, but its trend decreased from 8.1 per 10,000 in 2010 to 6.5 per 10,000 in 2019, P being less than 0.001. CVD was associated with a 15.51 times higher odds of in-hospital all-cause mortality compared with non-CVD patients. P being less than 0.001. CVD was associated with higher six week postpartum readmission, odds ratio or OR 1.97, myocardial infarction OR 3.04, and stroke OR 2.66. P being less than 0.001 for all. The authors conclude that there is an increasing age-adjusted trend in overall CVD and its subtypes among pregnant patients in the USA from 2010 to 2019. Pregnant patients with CVD had higher odds of in-hospital mortality than those without CVD. However, in-hospital all-cause mortality among patients with and without CVD has decreased over the past 10 years. CVD was associated with higher six-week postpartum all-cause readmission, myocardial infarction and stroke rates. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Martha Gulati from the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California, USA and Anil Minhas from the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland, USA. The authors conclude that maternal morbidity and mortality rates in the USA remain the highest of all industrialized nations, with most maternal deaths being preventable. These alarming statistics and disparities in outcomes necessitate an active effort and commitment from the healthcare community and government to urgently address this ongoing crisis. In a continuously aging population of patients with congenital heart disease, or CHD, understanding the long-term risk of morbidity is crucial. In a clinical research article entitled Lifetime Risk of Comorbidity in Patients with Simple Congenital Heart Disease, a Danish nationwide study, Mohamed El Chuli and colleagues from the Danish Heart Foundation in Copenhagen, Denmark, compare the lifetime risks of developing comorbidities in patients with simple CHD and matched controls. Using the Danish nationwide registers, spanning from 1977 to 2018, simple CHD cases were defined as isolated atrial septal defect, or ASD, ventricular septal defect, or VSD, pulmonary stenosis, or patent ductus arteriosus, in patients surviving until at least five years of age. There were 10 controls identified per case. Reported were absolute lifetime risks and lifetime risk differences 
between patients with simple CHD and controls, of incident comorbidities stratified by groups and specific cardiovascular comorbidities. Of the included 17,157 individuals with simple CHD, the largest subgroups were those with ASD, 38%, and VSD, 34%, and 52% were female. The median follow-up time for patients with CHD was 21.2 years and for controls, 19.8 years. The lifetime risks for the investigated comorbidities were higher and appeared overall at younger ages for simple CHD compared with controls, except for neoplasms and chronic kidney disease. The lifetime risk difference among the comorbidities groups was highest for neurological disease, male 15.2%, female 11.3%, and pulmonary disease, male 9.1%, female 11.7%, and, among the specific comorbidities, was highest for stroke, male 18.9%, female 11.4%. The overall risk of stroke in patients with simple CHD was mainly driven by ASD, male 28.9%, female 17.5%, while the risks of myocardial infarction and heart failure were driven by VSD. The associated lifetime risks of stroke, myocardial infarction and heart failure in both sexes were smaller in invasively treated patients compared with untreated patients with simple CHD. L. Chuli and colleagues conclude that patients with simple CHD have increased lifetime risks of all comorbidities compared with match controls, except for neoplasms and chronic kidney disease. These findings highlight the need for increased attention towards early management of comorbidity risk factors. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Pastora Gallego from the Instituto Biomedicina in Sevilla, Spain. Diego highlights that the authors are to be commended for their important population-based study that provides valuable information on the burden and temporal trends of comorbidities in a large cohort of adults with simple CHD. Addressing comorbidities is a challenge for the healthcare system, requiring partnerships with primary care physicians and non-cardiologist specialists and educating and teaching patients to self-monitor, communicate their symptoms and improve their lifestyle. It is essential that we continue to collect accurate data on the outcomes of our treatments that can guide future management of these patients. This study underscores the need for individualised longitudinal follow-up of simple heart defects, which may often require highly specialised cardiac care under certain circumstances. The data also supports the need for prevention, early diagnosis and treatment of specific and highly prevalent comorbidities in this population to achieve optimal long-term outcomes and quality of life. Further disease-specific research would shed further light on mechanisms of comorbidity risk and inform risk stratification strategies. The predictors of advanced atrioventricular block are still incompletely known. In a clinical research article entitled Type 2 Diabetes Mellitus and Higher Rate of Complete Atrioventricular Block, a Danish nationwide registry. 
Saranda Haxa and colleagues from the Bispeberg and Frederiksberg Hospital in Copenhagen, Denmark, aim to determine the association between type 2 diabetes mellitus, or T2DM, and third-degree, or complete, atrioventricular block. This nationwide nested case control study included patients older than 18 years diagnosed with third-degree atrioventricular block between the 1st of July 1995 and the 31st of December 2018. Five controls from the risk set of each case of third-degree atrioventricular block were matched on age and sex to fit a Cox regression model with time-dependent exposure and time-dependent covariates. Subgroup analysis was conducted with Cox regression models for each subgroup. The authors identified approximately 26,000 cases with third-degree atrioventricular block. The mean age was 76 years and 62% were male. Cases had more T2DM, 21% versus 11%, hypertension, 69% versus 50%, atrial fibrillation, or AF, 25% versus 10%, heart failure, 20% versus 6.3%, and myocardial infarction, 19% versus 9.2%, compared with the control group. In Cox regression analysis, adjusting for comorbidities and atrioventricular nodal blocking agents, T2DM was significantly associated with third-degree atrioventricular block, as at ratio 1.63, 95% confidence interval 1.57 to 1.69. The association remained in several subgroup analyses of the diseases also suspected to be associated with third-degree atrioventricular block. There was a significant interaction with comorbidities of interest, including hypertension, AF, heart failure, and myocardial infarction. The authors conclude that in this nationwide study, T2DM is associated with a higher rate of third-degree atrioventricular block compared with match controls. The association remains independent of atrioventricular nodal blocking agents and other comorbidities known to be associated with third-degree atrioventricular block. This manuscript is accompanied by an editorial by Moshe Ravaka and Michael Glickson from the Hebrew University in Jerusalem, Israel. The authors conclude that an extensive amount of data supports the association of T2DM with atrioventricular block, although it seems to have remained unnoticed until now. Multiple studies suggest that this association is independent of other cardiovascular conventional risk factors and may explain at least part of the increased sudden cardiac death, or SCD, among these patients. The pathogenesis of this association is probably multifactorial and mostly still obscure. Nevertheless, this association has an important clinical implication regarding the need to continuously evaluate T2DM patients' conduction system, probably by serial ECGs, looking for advanced atrioventricular block. Early diagnosis among these patients might reduce their increased susceptibility to SCD. Atrial tachyarrhythmia recurrence greater than or equal to 30 seconds remains the primary endpoint of clinical trials. However, this definition has not been correlated with clinical outcomes or pathophysiological processes. 
in a clinical research article entitled Healthcare Utilization and Quality of Life for Atrial Fibrillation Burden, the Circa Dose Study. Jason Andrade and colleagues from the University de Montreal in Canada sought to determine the atrial tachyarrhythmia duration and burden associated with meaningful clinical outcomes. The time and duration of every atrial tachyarrhythmia episode recorded on an implantable cardiac monitor were evaluated. Details of healthcare utilization and quality of life in the year following ablation were prospectively collected. 346 patients provided greater than 126,000 monitoring days. One-year freedom from recurrence increased with arrhythmia duration thresholds from 52% to 93%, PE being less than 0.0001. Patients with AF recurrence limited to durations of less than or equal to one hour had rates of healthcare utilization comparable with those of patients free of recurrence, while patients with AF recurrence lasting greater than one hour had a relative risk for emergency department consultation of 3.2 hospitalization of 5.3, and repeat ablation of 27. Patients with AF burden of less than or equal to 0.1% had rates of healthcare utilization comparable with those of patients free of recurrence, while patients with AF burden of greater than 0.1% had a relative risk for emergency department consultation of 2.4, hospitalization of 6.8, cardioversion of 9.1 and repeat ablation of 21.8. Compared with patients free of recurrence, the disease-specific quality of life was significantly impaired with AF episode durations greater than 24-hour or AF burdens of greater than 0.1%. The authors conclude that AF recurrence, as defined by 30 seconds of arrhythmia, lacks clinical relevance. AF episode durations greater than one hour or burdens of greater than 0.1% are associated with increased rates of healthcare utilization. The contribution is accompanied by an editorial by Ahmad Al Casey and Jonathan Kalman from the University of Melbourne in Australia. The authors conclude that these data from a rigorous prospective study provide strong evidence that it is time to discard the 30 second cutoff point and institute endpoints of clinical relevance. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will be of interest to its listeners.